0: So, namaste, ladies and gentlemen, Jai Hind. and uh, this is the book that we're going to talk about today, Ten Heads of Ravana. But what's important is, uh, what's the prefix ahead of that? A critique of Hinduphobic scholars. Now, that's quite a bold statement to make right on the cover of the book. And uh, you don't expect less from Rajiv Malotra and his team. Joining us now are some of the young authors, the bright minds, who have actually challenged be intellectual heads, ten intellectual heads, absolute brains, or people uh, who who consider themselves past masters in their field. So Anurag Sharma, Shubodh Mukhopadhyay, Divya Reddy is actually edited it along with uh, Raji Maloj Raji. So it's a, she's a co-editor and also Manogna Shastri. So Namaste to all of you. Wow, quite a quite a task that you guys have taken on. Huh? You, you yeah. really, it's like a David versus Goliath if I were to just look at the names and you guys going after them. Romila Thapar, Sheldon Pollock, Michael Whitson, Devdak Patnayek, Irfan Hapit, Shashi Tharoor, Audrey Trushka, Ramchandra Goa and Kancha Elaya, and of course Wendy Donika. So some of them are quite infamous. They were all there in terms of the efforts to dismantle Hindu thought globally. But let me ask you, who's going to go first on this? Divya Reddy, since your name is there on the cover of the book, so let me ask you, how did this effort happen?
1: Namaste thank you for having us. Uh, so the book was actually conceptualized at our uh, annual retreat that we had at uh, Rishikesh in 2019. Uh, so it is a characteristic feature of Infinity Foundation that we have always mm-hmm. uh, taken on uh, new pioneering uh, I mean, domains where nobody has dared to venture. So in that spirit, we thought, we we all of us know that these contemporary scholars, there's something factually inaccurate or something missing in their work. But hmm. there was never before a place where there was concrete evidence or something, to, something like a go-to book for people to use to refute their claims. Hmm. Uh, so Ravana, we have used it as a metaphor because just like we all know, the historical Ravana was famous for his intellectual and physical strength. But we know that he used all of his power of influence and might to cause a dharma. Uh, now, these contemporary scholars that we have chosen in this anthology are are, are some very famous political leaders, Padma awardees, and so on. So their power of influence can be co- compared to the historical Ravana. Hmm. But their positions on Dharma are counterproductive to the unity and integrity of India. And that is what we have uh, aimed to demonstrate in this book. It's a hmm. factual, evidence based
0: rebuttal. First, let me talk about the flights of our historical imagination. Pushpaka Vimana is what you have called it, Anurad. And that to Romila Ji, Romila Thapar. Yeah. Romila Thapar, isn't she the same lady who recently said that Yudhishthira was perhaps influenced by Kautam Buddha? Although a yuga separates the two of them. Yeah, please. Yeah, so thank you, Aranji. Yeah, ji. As you rightly
2: said, uh, why I have t- uh, given this title to my essay? Because while reading her works, I found that there were a lot of you know imaginative uh, things which you know she has come up with. Like, you know, they, she has come up with terms like Vedic Brahmanism, Quranic mm. Hinduism. So she says that Vedic Brahmanism is different from Quranic Hinduism. Puranic Hinduism is something which is the current form of Hinduism. And she says that Vedic Brahmanism, uh, according to her, propagated the use of Sanskrit through elaborate rituals and had to, you know, compromise with the local indigenous cult. So when the Aryans invaded India, so they had to compromise with the local indigenous cult Local indigenous cults, and because of that process of acculturation, what we call Puranic Hinduism was born. So I found these terms because if you look into the British, you know, our culture and tradition for the past two thousand years, there is no found basis on which you know you can come up with these terms, Vedic Brahminism, and you know, so Vedic Brahminism is the evil thing, and then Puranic Hinduism is also evil. It's not that it's good, but you know, the root cause of all the problems in Puranic Hinduism is. Uh, the oppressive structures in Vedic Hamanism. So she mm. comes up with all sorts of imaginary things. She says that the bhakti saints were inspired by Buddhism. You know. <laughs> uh, mm. All the all the all the you know uh, uh, bhakti hymns which you listen, you know, they are actually inspired by Buddhist philosophy, which is again a kind of imagination because Buddhism doesn't even believe in a in a in an ultimate reality or Ishwar or Bhagwan. So mm. I mean, there is no point in having a kind of you know devotional way to reach ultimate reality when there is no ultimate reality in Buddhism. So mm. yeah, I mean, these are the kind of things which she uses and, and as you know, you know she is very influential. She has influenced public policies and in educational institutions. So in my essay in this book what I have tried to do is, I have tried to look into her works very in a very detailed way, look for whatever she says, whether it is factually correct or not and then through our traditional sources and, you know, in, the, in Sanskrit texts, I have come up with refutation of many of the things which she says. She says that Valmiki may might be earlier because, but there were other people who copied and, you know, put the, all those interpolations in the Valmiki Ramayana. So Valmiki Ramayana is not the actual work, complete work of uh, of Valmiki. She says saying that right. even the, even the yes. book one and the Balakand, you know, Balakand hmm. is itself an interpolation according to her. It's so, the whole book one. And she also says that but There are un-Brahmanized and Brahmanized portions in the Ramayana. So all the Brahmanized portions in the Ramayana are, are those portions where Sri Ram is equated with uh, Vishnu and he is said to be an incarnation of Vishnu. So, so all these are all interpolations. This
0: is so, something which happened later on. So please, uh, does she have the answer to why in the Adi Kavya with 24,000 verses that is Ramayana? Or the Mahakavya, which is the uh, Mahabharata, which encapsulates all aspects of Purushartha, Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. Uh, mm-hmm. How is it that nobody has a surname? So she doesn't a- even a- answer, every, you know? Everybody is a single name, no. Everybody is known by their name. Correct. So from Correct. Sita, Hanuman, Ram, Lakshman, Dasharat, Kaikeyi, Kaushalya, everybody is known by their first name in Ramayana. Correct. Correct. In Mahabharata, there is no second name, no surname so Correct. how did she understand brahmanism here where did the concept of brahmanism come here for for her brahmanism is anyone who do does any vedic ritual is a you
2: know is a is a person who follows vedic brahmanism so all these rituals you know yajnas and you know chanting of vedic mantras so all that you know all that is okay. evil for her
0: and you know that is the uh, something she calls vedic brahmanism again you have taken another uh, giant in modern day history devdat patnayak so, tell me panga yeah
3: first of all uh, namaste Anandji for having me namaste. here yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh,
0: as you this rightly you are I mean, state uh, yes, so why yes, have
3: exactly. you nee, as you very rightly said he is a gigantic personality i mean about that there is no doubt uh, he is a famous mythologist he is a writer his books are also used as civil service exams. Hmm. And uh, uh, this is one of the factors which I've tried to uh, show in the uh, in this essay that uh, uh, some of the things which he has said, uh, which uh, many practitioners of Hinduism, traditionalists, even normal people might find very uh, strange. Uh, the interpretations are not according to what we normally perceive or what we see hmm. around us. So that is at one level. And that is what I've tried to answer Given some examples, like if you see the book, I've given specific examples where
0: uh,
3: what he says is not the way tradition interprets that. Like, mm. for example, definition of dharma itself. Mm. Um, I've cited some examples. Like he's given a definition of dharma as potential, and that is that is not a word which is found in any standard dictionary. For example, no? yeah. so that is at one level. Uh, the second level, which I've tried to analyze, is why does he say what he says? There must be some reason. Uh, Why Hmm. does he interpret certain things in a certain way? What is the lens that he's using? And that comes from the uh, he himself says that he's a mythologist number one and he's also admitted that he believes in postmodern thought. So Hmm. the lens that he uses to analyze India and Hinduism is a mixture of these two categories uh, postmodernism and mythology. Uh, And when you use these lenses to analyze India and Hinduism it is by its very definition it will uh, paint things in a unsatisfactory light. I mean, Mm. it will appear Hindu phobic, it will appear, say, anti India, for example, I'm not Mm. using that term. I mean, in that sense, like he says, in many places that he does not subscribe to the idea of nationhood. Mm. So uh, nations are a recent uh, construct. And in terms of if you look at it from a point of myth, uh, nations do not exist. So that is Mm. at one
0: level, he's saying that then he does not subscribe but, to the but, idea but geographical geographical entities in, uh, exist geographical entities like uh, uh, india bharat during the maratha period 70 years of the maratha rule or even before in the past when from gandhara all the way up to on this uh, to to tripura and beyond that, and that is, so how how Hyun
3: Sang described bharatvarsha absolutely see that is the, that is the response which i have given that uh, What he's looking at is one very specific view, which not only him, many people believe that, uh, for example, nations do not exist or did not exist earlier. And India itself is a British project. The British Hmm. came and the colonial uh, uh, India was actually the starting point of the modern Indian nation. So I'm Hmm. saying, no, this is a a very narrow view of looking at India. People have their own self-identifiers, like the term Hindu may not have existed 2000 years back. But the identity of the Hindu people, that is something which has existed for a long time. And that is attested from foreign sources. Mm. Like a, the example of Darius 1. 550 BCE. Mm. Yes. So he says the land of Hindustan. So he's very clear when he says the yeah. land of Hindustan. Uh, then when the invaders came from the Middle East, mm. so they knew exactly whom they were invading. Even prior to that mega sense, when he came to India, he did not come to South Asia. He came to India specifically. I mean, yeah. it's not something First place where uh, uh, mm. with no boundaries, no culture. It's a very specific uh, uh, boundaries are there. Maybe I mean, there's a con- con- uh, culture continuum.
0: Yeah,
3: uh, but there's some common thread which binds the entire uh, geography together. Yeah, so, beyond the Indus, beyond the Indus, or beyond the Saraswati. Beyond the Indus Himalaya in the top, then yeah. we have the oceans. So there mm. are multiple uh, definitions we have of our own identity. Even say the the Shakti Peters, for example. Yeah. They are in a specific mm-hmm. geography. Then you have the uh, Kumbh Melas spread across India. So you have different definitions of uh, India. Uh, so these are some of the things which I've tried to uh, show that uh, uh, his portrayal is a, is a very, uh, in a sense, a, a negative kind of portrayal of both but India.
0: Why, but why would he want to do something? Like that?
3: If you see mythology as an academic discipline, uh, so it came from colonialism. It was a product of that. It was the West's attempt to understand the non-West's past. right. So when, so that's why his view is like a, a outsider view, like a mm. Western-trained anthropologist is saying, okay, this is India. So the tribes meet and they do all these things. Mm. So that is probably the kind of view he is. Uh, uh, he's telling us about
0: Hinduism from that perspective. You people have also collaborated in trying to break down somebody who wants to dismantle Hindutva. So manogna take it on auditors and also then, of course, Oh, you've done a lot of work here. You've gone after Irfan Habib and also Michael Witzel. Wow, what time I have talking Why did you to go after them? And and how have you done it?
1: Uh, Namaste, Anandji. Thank you for having Namaste. us.
4: Um, I think uh, what you would have noticed uh, among the common threads, you know, through what Divya spoke, uh, through what uh, Shubhadeep spoke, and through what another spoke, So there is, I think, the narratives that have been built systematically Mm -hmm. in academia, in public discourse, um, and now, of course, social media being a bit uh, part of it, where you are legitimizing, um, let's say, into India theories, that is, you know, the Syrian invasion, migration uh, backdrop, which despite having systematically been proved, you know, disproved um, with archaeological evidence and so on, that continues to be a background. So then, because of that, there are consequences where uh, the indigeneity of some of our assets, including the Vedas, including, uh, you know, uh, samskritam as a language, including everything that we see as fundamental to the Hindu identity and hence the Bharatiya identity, the indigeneity of that will be conveniently called into question, Mm -hmm. right? What we have done here in selecting these scholars, right, whether it is, uh, Audrey Trushtre, whether it is, uh, uh, you know, Professor Michael Witzel uh, or even uh, Professor Irfan Habib, all of them have used academic institutions, whether it is the Harvard University, whether it is ICHR in the case of Dr. Uh, uh, Habib, Habib. Um, you know, and from ICHR, the way that institution was used during the Janma movement, right, to, um, you know, support the Sunni Vakif board in a, in, in a legal uh, case then, of course, you have uh, uh, Dr. Trishke writing on social media on one hand and writing books. So all of these, we have noticed these themes which are carried out through their words. And we have systematically uh, considered the various positions these scholars have taken. Uh, It could be the specifics, as in the case of what each of us here have mentioned. It could also be some of the broader themes where the... uh, where the adhikara of representing Hinduism, the adhikara of representing Bharatiya identity and Bharatiya positions uh, is not given, um, how will I say, it's not given the, the, the native people or rather the indigenous voices are not given the same standing as right. those of these academic uh, uh, positions and scholars. So okay. that has been uh, one of the main focus.
0: Hmm. But why Dr. Tharoor, Tiria? Yes,
1: uh, to begin with, why Tharoor? I think like you rightly said, uh, he has impeccable academic credentials and he is very well known for his mastery over English, which unfortunately is a mark of intellectual credibility in our colonized society today. So what I learned from his work on Hinduism is that he has this hypothesis or rather a message that he wants to convey, that Hinduism is infinitely open There is absolutely no boundaries or barriers of entry. Anything and everything is Hinduism. So I like to call it Tarus, anything goes Hinduism. So this anything goes attitude is a threat to the survival of our civilization. Uh, This leads to cultural appropriation and we have products like the Christian yoga and so forth. And another important uh, characteristic feature of his work is that he constantly downplays the Kshatriya Dharma of Hinduism which is one of the most important pillars of Dharma and also the very reason for our existence today. He says Hinduism has anyway survived for several millennia, so we don't really need any action-oriented or approach or something like the Kshatriya Dharma. Uh, so that is very threatening to the integrity of our country and our civilization. Mm -hmm. And there are also numerous factual inaccuracies in his work. For instance, his entire chronology is based on the very well refuted Aryan invasion theory. There are also numerous instances where he has mistranslated and misinterpreted Sanskrit words. And he's also a strong proponent of religious conversion. And that's an irony because he claims to be a very liberal and pluralistic Hindu. And religious conversion is an act of uh, reducing diversity. it essentially stands for exclusive. So I think uh, him being a very influential leader in the political arena, it's important for the audience to know what he is propagating in the name of uh,
0: Hinduism. had right, a big challenge. Now I understand where this dedicated to all intellectual intellectuals, shas- uh, the idea must have germinated from. But Manugna, I want to understand from you. Have you reached out? You guys... Uh, I can turn around and say, Acha, you are intellectually trying to dismantle the intellectuals, so called intellectuals. Uh,
1: <laughs>
4: yes. Um, I think we've been uh, very clear right from when the project was conceptualized that uh, we wanted to take the intellectual positions of these scholars avoid any ad hominem, any, uh, you know, this is not an attack on anybody's persona just because we're calling it Gavana, right? So it is very important that these intellectual positions be challenged because it then goes beyond just the personalities, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes mm-hmm. it becomes decades old, entrenched uh, narratives which are being uh, questioned and rebutted in a systematic uh, manner and then laid bare for the audience to decide what is the intellectual bar that you would like, in your public discourse today what we have is this inherited um, entrenched false narratives which are actually based on very little facts
0: did you share your works Anurag did you reach out to Romila Thaparji and say this is what I have to say your comments please see you're poking the bear anyway so why not just walk into the cave
2: so in fact, for the launch of this group, we even invited all these scholars. You know, mm-hmm. they could, you know, they could come and you know, they can have a discussion with us. But uh, unfortunately, none of them uh, accepted our invitation. So we have been trying to, you know, uh, bring this thing uh, into a kind of a discussion mode. But you know, we are not getting, uh, you know, kind of uh, they, these people are not uh, responding to us. We are not getting cooperation from the other side. So
0: yeah. Yeah, so it's not just no comment, it's like purely blocked. totally. No, blocked. no. So in fact, we, we, would, we would
2: love yeah, to we'll have no a discussion. Comment.
0: Yeah. More importantly, what you're saying is this is not personal. What you're trying to do is you're going to challenge them intellectually and their intellectual logic. The weight of their intellectual prowess is what you're challenging. And that's why you're saying read it and then decide. Now, brilliant, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, young minds have decided to not just form a group of intellectual kshatriya but you also defined a vyuha you have entered the battlefield with a vyuha and i am interested to see how some of these intellectuals actually respond but phenomenal conversation i really enjoyed it and uh, i have to be honest i have not read the whole book yet i have read some portions and that's why i was dwelling on some portions a little more than the others but i look forward to reading it reading this in whole thank you very much wonderful conversation